Hey, welcome to this episode of A Pastor and a Rabbi Walk Into a Bar. I am Sean Hennessy, the pastor at Life Church in Green Bay. And as always, I am accompanied by my co-host and my homie, the rabbi, Matthew Rosenberg. It was a clear, dark night. <laughs> they took my rings. They took my Rolex. I looked at the brother said, what's next? <laughs> Not very many rabbis are quoting Warren G and Nate Dogg. got me all jacked up, got me all around. <laughs> it's good to see you and good to hear you again. Fair warning, though, we are going to do our our normal, yo, did you know? Yeah. But just up front, I do want to say that some you of the subject matter right. that we're going to deal with during this episode could be a little bit sensitive to some people. And so perhaps there will be less banter. And perhaps there will be less humor mm-hmm. in this episode. We are talking about mental health. And mm-hmm. so if that is a trigger for you. And we are both you, messed uh, up. Jacked up. <laughs> so if that's a trigger for you, I just want you to know that up front. And, uh, and maybe you want to skip to the next episode. To the, to next, the next episode. episode. I knew you were going to do that one. Falling back on the with a hell of a gangster lay, Let, getting funky on the mic like the old type of college grad. Okay. Here's the question though: Is that the capital of fresh so Can we have Rabbi Matt be serious for a whole episode? bro, did you know, bro? Did you know? Did you know that in the movie Fight Club, 1999, that in uh. There is a Starbucks cup in every scene of that movie. I did not know that. That's and it, fascinating. And it comes from the line in the movie when Deep's, uh, Ed, Ed Norton's character, who I think he turned out to be not such a great guy. No, he didn't. Yikes. Uh, when Deep Space Exploration ramps up, it'll be the corporations that name everything. The IBM Stellar Sphere, the Microsoft Galaxy, Planet Starbucks. Interesting. So there is a Starbucks cup in every scene of that movie. Wow. And there's a Tumblr page that maps all of, like shows all of them. That is fascinating. So like there's one at 26 minutes and 25 seconds. There's one at 12 minutes and 14 seconds. There's one at 14 minutes and two seconds. It's like everywhere. So interesting. I, I always loved that movie. I actually had it on DVD. And I mean, I, I, <laughs> I, I really, really liked that movie. And then uh, my son, Isaiah, has has this new thing over the last couple of months where he wants to like, the way that him and I hang out now is over movies. Yeah, and so we watched all the new, the newest Planet of the Apes together, and and then he he wanted to watch um, Fight Club, and I was like, oh, bro, I love that movie, and and what was interesting is while I watched that with someone I care about, I felt uncomfortable. Hmm. The whole movie made me uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. It felt like the movie was excessive to mm-hmm. me. Totally, and but but what. Uh, what Isaiah noticed that I thought was interesting is he did notice the uh, where they they put the film splices in the movie because he was like, bro, what is going on? Like, why is that happening? But since we're talking about mental health, yeah. I mean, we couldn't be talking about a movie that's more yeah. apropos. And the thing that I didn't remember, spoiler alert, if you haven't watched Fight Club, I'm going to wreck the end for you. The thing that I didn't remember, and I've watched this movie 
a number of times over the mm-hmm. years. I didn't remember Ed Norton shooting himself in the head. Mm, me either. And and that was such a regrettable a scene to me to be watching with my son. Mm-hmm. It it uh, it. I wouldn't say it wounded me, but it was like, wow! Like I wished, I wished I would have screened that better. And particularly as a dad, to think that I I I not only know that my son had an image like that, it was a disturbing. I'm 48. It was a disturbing image to me in 2022. Partially because I've struggled with that. Like I've, and I think that there will be people as they hear us have conversations during this episode will go, oh my gosh, I didn't. One of the things about mental health is that the enemy uses it as a tool to isolate us and to make us feel like we're the only people who are struggling with that. And I, I have, I struggled deeply with not just suicidal thoughts and not just suicidal tendencies, but I struggle deeply with suicidal ideations. And a suicidal ideation is a suicidal thought with a, with a plan. Hmm. And so I had a thought and a plan, and the only thing that rescued me is I didn't get an opportunity. And so for me to watch that uh, was, it, it triggered me. Mm-hmm. And then it made me feel such a deep sense of regret that I had ex- unknowingly exposed my son to something like that. I didn't want that image in his mind. And I, it made me think about how many different things I had exposed my son and my daughter and my wife and the other people who are near and dear to me in my life and the things that other people had exposed to me and how those images had been captured into my mind and recorded and put on the DVR so that it could be pulled up and played back at a later date and a later time, most of the time when I didn't want it pulled back up and replayed. Hmm. And so I think when Mm -hmm. we start to talk about mental health in the church, it's such a taboo subject, but I think it's something that more people are dealing with and struggling with than we ever even would imagine. Yeah, I think there's a shift in culture generationally where when we were kids, mental health wasn't really discussed. Mm-hmm. Um, and if it was, you know, it's like the stigma of, I mean, I think in my parents' generation, counseling was for crazy people. Yeah, for sure. Right? Counseling becomes more normal. Like I had to go see a, uh, a psychologist to get Ritalin. Mm. Psych. Psychologist? Psychiatrist. Psychiatrist. Um, So it wasn't like crazy, but I had a specific issue. Right. Right. But more of like what's happening in our kids' generation, I mean, my oldest is 16, Mm -hmm. is they talk about mental health so much that it's being over, it's the pendulum swings, right? It swings from not talking about it at all to talking about it too much where... uh, trauma becomes a trigger where everything's a trigger to everyone. And when somebody says, you can't talk about that because that's a trigger for me. Right. (laughs) It's like, okay, sometimes those things go, you know, people go in too deep without actually dealing with the issues. Right. So it's an interesting cultural shift because I think it's becoming much more normal to talk about now than it ever has been before. But sometimes that also means we misapply things and misunderstand things. Like the word narcissist is like yeah. used by everyone 
as like a, well, that guy's such a narcissist because he right. always talks about himself. Okay, well, that's a part of yeah. narcissism, but that's not the whole story. Used to that used to just be well that guy's self centered right that guy's cocky right. that guy's arrogant and narcissism as a personality disorder is yeah. pretty rare yeah mm, and they can't actually be helped mm. um, but most people have narcissistic tendencies which there was a guy it comes the word narcissist comes from a guy and it's a Greek story of a what's I forget is uh, the actual name but the word narcissist comes from his right. name. Which is he saw his reflection in the water. I think it's Nurkis. And Nurk made out, yeah. like basically made out with himself. Wow. But drowned himself in his own reflection. Looking at his own reflection. Yeah. Was so enamored with himself. Yeah. That he drowned yeah. in his own. And that's own... where we get the word narcissist. Right. Um, but, you know, my, my counselor said to me, who's, I mean, his area of expertise is narcissism. Um, he said narcissism is better defined as. Uh, self-focused because of trauma. Hmm. So narcissists, you know, you become self-focused in order to help yourself hmm. because of what you've experienced. Right. Like it comes out of neglect or abuse. So neglect is nobody ever took care of me, so I have to take care of myself. Um, and abuse is I wasn't taken care of in the right way. So, and then you adjust too far. Um, but narcissistic tendencies are much more common because our culture is narcissistic where everything is about you. Right. Like yeah. What you want and what you hope for and what you desire. And there's a part of narcissism that's positive. It's not all negative. Like you're supposed to have believe in yourself. Yeah. And somebody just asked me the other day, what's the difference between they were raised, you know, in a fundamentalist group and they were told they couldn't use the phrase believe in yourself because hmm. you're only allowed to believe in God. Hmm. So it was like used as a, well, if you believe in yourself, then that's prideful. <laughs> right. And that's too far of a, but you have to have a healthy understanding of yourself to be able to contribute anything good to the world. Yeah. Um, so it's, you know, I think all those, not just narcissism, but I think there's all kinds of terms and mental health ideas. I mean, even depression and yeah. like those things are kind of used and misused, um, in our culture and looked down on and, you know, when they really are just things that people, are, you know, cause I think like, I mean, I kind of grew up in Pentecostal. Kind of the Pentecostal, you know, is somebody filled with the Spirit can't be sad. Yeah. I mean, that's basically what I grew up with. So yeah. depression is like, well, you can't be that sad because don't you have the Spirit of God? <laughs> yeah. And it's like, well, yeah, but. You have the spirit of you, sadness on you. you the demonic spirit. Right. Or it cast that right, spirit out of you. Right. Or it becomes, yeah, a spiritual. Uh, issue rather than a psychological issue, which in most cases, it's, I mean, it's often both, Yeah, but we only deal with one and not the other. I think the challenge and anytime you overuse any kind of term in this instance, narcissism, yeah. I think anytime you overuse a term, you undertreat it. And so now we've, we've come to the point where we've minimized narcissism by maximizing it. Have you said that before? It. 
I don't know. Maybe I've said uh, it before. That's a pretty good preaching line. Thanks. But <laughs> I think when you make something common, you don't give it the attention that it deserves. Say it again. Right? Overtreat it. Under overuse. Any anytime you overuse a term, you undertreat it. Mm. So now we're looking at narcissism like it's common, but it's not common. It's you've said it from your counselor that it's incredibly rare. Now, thirty percent of the culture you yeah. said. Yeah, he also told has me- Has narcissistic tendencies or is narcissistic? Narcissistic tendencies. Right. There's a difference between but narcissistic tendencies- in more affluent areas like Seattle, right. it jumps to 60%. Yeah, because we were also, we were talking about when people leave, uh, like uh, people who have left my congregation angry. Yeah. And he said to me, generally what's happening is it's your narcissism versus theirs. Hmm. Like it's not take away right and wrong and what the actual issue is. The way people react to each other is typically the butting of heads of our own narcissistic tendencies. But would you say it's your narcissism butting up against their narcissism or your narcissistic tendencies butting yeah, up yeah, against yeah. their tendencies? Tendency. It's always tendencies. Most people yeah. very it's very rare for someone to be an actual narcissist. Hundred percent. But it's not un common for somebody to have narcissistic tendencies, which we would say back in the day, that person was self-centered. Right. Oh, you're very, he's very self-centered. All right. he thinks about is himself. All he talks about is himself. Right. And sometimes people misinterpret that as confidence when really what that is, is insecurity. Some of the most insecure yeah. people I know talk about themselves the most. And so they come across like they're very, uh, like they've got a very robust personality, but what they're really doing is that they feel so small yeah. that they're trying to, they're like a blowfish who when they're challenged, yeah. they blow themselves up totally, or, they're, or they face a traumatic experience, they blow themselves up, but then they really know right. that they're harmless, right? They're not that dangerous. But they want to present themselves in a way. It's like a comedian yeah. who is self-deprecating, right? Yeah. Chris Farley was so self-deprecating. Yeah. And so, I mean, how did Chris Farley die? He died of an overdose. That, that Chippendale skit with Patrick Swayze. Incredible. And it's so funny. All of his stuff is but funny. It's awful. But all of it's at his expense. Totally. And so how did he die? He died of an overdose. Why? Because right. he was trying to mask the pain that he was trying to put in front of the world yeah, that he didn't I mean, care let's about. talk about let's talk about the uh, Will Smith Chris Rock slap. Wow. It's it's the same situation. Uh, there was there were things circulating afterwards um cuz Will Smith just put out a a biography right before that. Oh yeah, his um, book it's great. And in his book he talks about in connection to accolades and awards. He says that he has difficulty um accepting it's something like there's a connection to the acceptance of the awards, but the shame that he feels for not standing up for her mom, for his mom when he was a kid, when his dad yeah. beat his mom, right? Yeah. So you you take in that, think about his the trauma that he experienced in watching his dad beat up his mom. The way he interpreted that as a kid is, I should have defended her and I didn't. Right. So now he overly defends. Hmm. And you think about even in his once they got to the acceptance speech, he kept saying in the speech, he kept talking about defending the people in his life. Mm. Um, and it's all connected to the words like trauma he experienced and the reason why he reacted the way he reacted and doesn't make any of it right or wrong. 
It's just a matter of the reason why we do things. And he talked about the it's it's not resorting to violence. It's like the quote is like and yeah, totally. <laughs> it's it was all connected. The total opposite of what he had just. It's done. all connected to you know. And the bummer is for him is the whole world saw it. Mm-hmm. The whole world doesn't see ours. Yep. Um, and we're more insulated and protected. Well, and he had spent his whole life building a pseudo personality. Totally. And in, and had done an incredible job at it. Totally. He he is viewed, I mean, he never cusses in his rap. Right. He He's an incredible actor. He's one right. of the most in-demand actors in the world. Right. And, and yet that wasn't him. Yeah. It was the representation. I think a lot of us have that. We have pseudo personalities and we put those out. And I think what's interesting is a lot of us have different pseudos for different situations. So if you're with one group of people who you grew up with, you're a different pseudo. But yeah. then when you're with the people you went to college with, you've you've had an opportunity. Like, I remember people telling me when I went to college, my high school football coach, Bob Miller, he pulled me aside. He said, listen here, you have an opportunity to recreate yourself right now. You can go in that college, you can be anybody you want to be. Hmm. And I think he had good intentions in that, mm-hmm. but then that wounded me because I was like, well, what's wrong with me? Right. Why is it that I have to recreate myself? And the problem was I left, I left my area and I went somewhere else. And the problem was I brought myself with me. And when I got there, I had all the same issues. I had all, all kinds of different people around me. I had nobody there that I knew yeah. from my past, but my past pursued me there. And I, because it, it was this massive pseudo that I, I couldn't keep it inside of myself. It was like a Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. And right. I didn't want to be either one of them. And I, ultimately, I wasn't either one of them. And so it, it creates like all of these wounds and that have been building your whole life. And they start totally. when you're so young and so formative. And you talked about the pendulum swing. I think what's interesting is is um, in, in my generation, I'm 48, in my generation, there was such a, such a bad image put on somebody who had to be medicated. And so I think back then maybe there was an under-medication going on and now there's an over-medication perhaps going on. That it's like the first instinct. Mm-hmm. Your child could go to the office and say they're sad and and the person who talks to them could instantly say, oh, well, we need to put you on a script. It's like, well, maybe I need to cry. Maybe I need to have a conversation. Maybe I just need to have somebody ask me, hey, what what is it that m- – cause those feelings and get to some real dialogue. And then I think we spend our whole lives building fences around ourselves Mm -hmm. because we don't want people to see who we really are because we don't think that people will accept us for who we really are. And so in a narcissistic tendency, I think people come out. I did that. I was very grandiose, man. I was out, like I was in public. But people are interested. People are surprised when they hear me tell them that I'm an introvert. Right. I go, what? Right. You're so out there. I go, yeah, well, that's my, it's like, I don't don't want to say, this is going to sound bad. Standing on a stage and talking to a group of people has nothing to do with introvert or extrovert. It's not the character that I play, but it is the role that I've been given. Yeah. So God has called me to do something that is so outside of my natural proclivity that that I have to be very focused on that. So 
one of the ways that I haven't gotten full of myself is that I recognize that it isn't myself. Right. So when I step on the stage, I come across very magnetic. Yeah. But I'm not a magnetic human being by nature. I'm I'm not the same personality on the <laughs> stage right as I am off the Naughty stage. by nature, not because I hate you. Okay, sorry. I told you, are we going to keep him in the lane <laughs> for 45 minutes? It's a hard one. But I think you're the same way, bro, because you on the stage are magnificent. It's like, wow. Yep. And, and I don't want this to sound ugly, but I have many times thought, why does that guy not have 10,000 people in his synagogue? You're that good, bro. Thanks, man. But then off the stage, you're, you're an amazing guy off the stage, but you're, different, you're a different dude off the stage than you are on the stage. Huh. Yeah. Well, I just had this conversation similar to what you were just saying with my counselor, which is he said when people tell you that they loved what you just did, they're not talking about you. They're talking about the performance wow. of what you just did. That's so good. And there's a difference. There's nothing wrong. And this is, I thought this was pretty amazing. There's nothing wrong with creating a character mm. and performing as that character. Mm. But when somebody's like, man, that, the Passover Seder is like the best. It's thank you. But internally... They don't like me for me because they don't know me, right? Wow. They know what I just did on stage, which is a good thing. Yeah. But it's it's uh, it's not. And I think in the past, and still I struggle with, you know, you want um, those kind of comments. I need those kind of comments. Yeah. Because it's too easy to attach the performance to my self-worth. Hmm. But I'm good at this thing. So in the areas that I'm deficient, but I'm still good, right? Because I can do this thing. No, that's just a thing. Right. It's not really who I am. So the two sides, I think, are I will either perform my way out of something or I can shame myself out of something. Mm. Like the same thing. I could have done better. I'm not that good. That's the shame side. Or I could accept praise of the, some people who are like, you know, but I think we were also taught, like, I don't know, growing up Pentecostal is my context, but the, you know, I, I remember saying to people, like, I, I said to a worship leader once at a youth conference, you know, I really appreciate the way you lead worship. I think you're really good. He said, well, it's not me, it's the Lord. <laughs> I've I just had went, people do that. Stop it. Just shut up. That's not real. Yeah. It is you. And it's a gift the Lord gave you. Yeah. So when somebody tells you you did something good, the right response is thank you. Yeah. That's all. <laughs> right? Thank you don't you. have to. Yeah. But I, even then, I didn't. I couldn't have connected at that point mm -hmm. years ago that I was still, my self-worth was still affected. Like I need people to. I put too much pressure on the people I love to tell me that I'm good at when I'm performing. I mean, I came up with my own name and my own hashtag. I call myself the happy rabbi. I know. That's the hashtag happy rabbi. The truth is the longer hashtag, which defeats the purpose of hashtags, is hashtag the happy rabbi who's been sad since he was 10 and didn't know. <laughs> like that's and needs to be happy 
in order to not feel sadness. I've seen the first one. I've not seen the second hashtag. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The danger in creating a persona that you have on stage, though, which I think we both have. Yeah. Is that sometimes uh, you can believe your own Whoa, persona. Come on. And so totally. when I was an evangelist, like I, I think that's why people fall too. Yeah. Well, when I had when I had local covering, let's let's just delve into this for a second, because yeah. I had a very interesting conversation with a guy who just spoke at our church last Sunday and uh, he, he made a very interesting statement to me. But I, I'll say it like this. Anytime I was under local covering, I wasn't buying into my own persona. I had someone to keep there was someone there was someone to keep that thing tied to the to the ground, right? When I became an evangelist and all I did was travel and preach and I didn't have a local covering, then I began to believe my own persona. And this will tell you the the story of it. I remember I went to a youth convention in a state and their youth convention was in an arena and it was like 10,000 students. And and it was like a big nationally known band. They were a Grammy award-winning band. They opened up for me and then- Billy Joel. It was not Billy Joel. <laughs> I came out on the stage, and the thing that's interesting is that was the first arena I had spoken in. And the thing that catches you by surprise when you speak in an arena is how void it is. It's full, but it's empty. Mm. So it's full of people, mm-hmm. but it is empty of any kind of personality because because you are staring into the darkness. You see nothing. Mm-hmm. I couldn't see anyone. I literally preached into a black screen. And and I preached the mess out of this message. Of course, I was an evangelist. I'd preached that message like 22 times before that. So I, did, I had it memorized. I knew exactly when to break. I knew exactly when to tell the right joke and what intonation to tell it in. I was like a stand-up comedian who was going to do a recorded special who's done that stand-up and has you know, scratched out things that didn't work in Omaha before they got to Columbus. And so, man, I, I nailed it, bro. And when I gave the altar call for people to give their lives to the Lord, about 8,000 students responded to receive Christ. And I walked off the stage and uh, Sonny was in the back green room and she goes, you didn't even pray before you went up there, did you? I'm like, bro, are you kidding me? There's 8,000 kids crying in the altar right now. She goes, yeah, that was all you, all you. And it's only the second time, there's only been two times that she's ever rebuked me like that in ministry. And both times she was right. And both times I was an evangelist. And both times I had begun this commingling of my personas. But it wasn't because I was narcissistic. It was because I was insecure. Because I wanted to be the guy who was on stage because everybody loved that guy. I didn't want to be the guy who was at that moment, unbeknownst to most of the world, struggling with mental health. I was medicated. Mm -hmm. I was on Zoloft. Mm -hmm. And I didn't want anybody to know it because I was embarrassed. Mm -hmm. Nobody wants to be on an antidepressant, especially then. And, And it all came to a head one night at a restaurant in Indianapolis when I hadn't taken my meds and I, I almost physically assaulted a waiter. And it was like, and, and I was at a table with about 20 pastors. And my best friend, Alan Griffin, covered for me. He said, he's on medication and he didn't take his pill. Mm. 
That's kind of the end of the conversation. But it was like this, almost this embarrassment, but freedom at the same time. Mm -hmm. To be able to acknowledge the fact that you are struggling with something. Mm -hmm. None of that's done in the secret, right? And so I wonder how many people, I mean, say that the mental health thing has gotten, the pendulum has swung, but I wonder if maybe the microscope is finally where it needs to be. No, I mean, I think it's a good thing because it's actually in conversation and it's part of, doesn't mean it's all bad. I mean, I think it's good that, you know, the immediate response to Will Smith and Chris Rock was, like there was so much about trauma and triggers and, you know, there's some, my daughter was telling me that Chris Rock has some disorder that, um, that like, enables him to respond the way that he responds or it's like so interesting to like oh right because first of all they're human beings Um, yeah and you know and there's a brilliance too even in the moment i mean chris rock just got smacked in the face yeah he responded so well a lot of people thought it was fake right because they cut out will smith just smacked the crap out of me but then he says, the line he said, he like took a breath and then said like, that was, you just witnessed the most interesting night in television. Yeah. And then moved on. Moved on. And like, it was, fa- it's fascinating. All the aspects of it are fascinating, but that's because I think the human brain is fascinating. Yeah. And I think the depths of, um, you know. You know, there's been recent, in the last few years, there's been pastors who commit suicide, mm-hmm. um, high-profile pastors, and all kinds of pastors that are well-respected who fall, and, like, they're well-known, so they get all the... But there's so many, you know, the the vast majority of churches in the United States are, have 75 people yeah. in them. Yep. And some of those guys fall, too. Yep. They just aren't written about in Time Magazine, <laughs> right? Like yeah. that's, um, but because they're all human conditions and, you know, there's stuff. We need help to work through those things. Um, you know, we talked about in a previous episode about the, the the quality of your life is determined by the friends you keep. Yeah. Um, but I also think quality of ministry it's determined by the people you put in place as coverings. Yep. Um, you know, whether they're like networks or denominations or, you know, people that you ask to be. I remember years ago, one of my first mentors, David McQueen, said to me um, in an organization that I belonged to for a long time and was trying to work my way out of but didn't really know how. Still took another 10 years after this conversation. But he asked me, um, who told you they were your authority? Hmm. And I was like, they did. (laughs) (laughs) And he said, that's not how authority works. You submit yourself to an authority. Yeah. Um, So... If it's they not, don't get to put themselves over you. If That's it's not working, <laughs> yeah. then find the right people to submit yourself to. Um, 
And so, you know, we put over the last 10 years, I've put all kinds of, we have overseeing elders, but I also have like my best friend is Eric McAdams is a pastor in Philly and we talk every Tuesday, Mm. Um, you know, and there's all kinds of people in my life um, that are there for all of those conversations. Like, you know, the, the stuff, because those people actually know me. You know, like my yeah. friend Eric knows me. Knows you. We've known it. We've been best friends for 25 years. Yeah. We, we, we became friends because our orientation at freshman year of college, there was like a singing quartet and we ended up next to each other and we mocked the singing group together. <laughs> and we're like, we're going to be best friends forever. That's a great way to begin a relationship <laughs> through sarcasm. Right. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> you know, but we've seen so much. And seen so much happen to each other and in our marriages and with our kids and, you know, but it doesn't matter what outcomes of any of these things are. We're still going to be in each other's lives no matter what. Yeah. And you don't, most people only have, like, if people have that, you only have two or three of those in your whole life. Yeah. And, but, but most men in particular don't have that at all. Like they don't actually have those kind of relationships. Yeah, I think when you look at the title of this podcast and then the subject of this particular podcast, the person may go, why Why would you do mental health on a pastor and a rabbi walk into a bar? Because I think I wish yeah. that a guy could sit down at a bar stool and have the guy next to him say, hey, man, how you doing? Yeah. That's, that's the natural salutation that we do. Hey, man, how you doing? Or what's up? Or, yeah bro, how's it or whatever, yeah. you know? And it, what if you could be honest in your response? What if you could be honest and say, I'm really crappy right now, actually. Yeah. And not have that be an uncomfortable situation. Why is it uncomfortable? Like we say, it's okay to not be okay. Yeah. Why is it uncomfortable that somebody's not okay? You know, you're not okay. Right. So why is it uncomfortable that they're not okay? Right. And why, why is it that we feel like... Like we're not able to talk to each other about our marriages or about our kids or, I mean, bro, I come from a family history of mental health. Like I have family members, I mean, way back. Mental unhealth. Mental illness. Yeah. Illness. Mental illness. Let's yeah. say that. Good, good catch. I have a history of mental illness in my family, but it was untreated. It was undiagnosed. Right. And, and so then you get to a point now where you go, why am I wearing the badge of shame? Why is it not okay that I'm not okay? Why is it not Mm. okay if I'm at odds with somebody else in my life? Like, how am I not going to be at odds if I don't have somebody who can walk me through that and give me a different perspective, right? So like, if you're struggling in a relationship, but I'm healthy in that same relationship and you share with me, well, I didn't get healthy overnight. My relationship didn't get healthy overnight. Right. There were lots of pit stops and problems and there was lots of pain that I had to figure out how to navigate through. And it's not like we're that uh, different we're, of a person. Right. We're, all, we're all a work in progress. It's funny to think about eternity, right? Eternity is like repeats forever and ever. And so you look at like, like I'm 43, you're 48. Yeah. So you have more life experience I than I do. You've been married longer than I am. But in eternity... Those years aren't gonna matter much. Like lip. you weren't you weren't that far ahead. Yeah. You know, my dad is not that far ahead yeah. of me because yeah. <laughs> it's eternity's 
measured so much wider, but it is helpful to have. I think, I think the most important, two of the most important words in the English language are me too. Mm. You know, when you share with somebody something and somebody can look at you in the face and go, Bro, man, I have the yeah. same experience. Like, yeah. and you're like, really? Cause you, like you like, said, I here. think there's so many things that happen that we think we're the only one. Yep. And when you find out other people have struggled in the same way, um, you know, it's, it's just helpful to know that, you know, you're not the only person. It's amazing how much more you can carry when you distribute the load. So if I can distribute the load to you, Preach bro, your lines. like if I Man. can just, it's not like you and I together can't carry twice as much as I can carry. We can carry a lot more than twice as much as I can carry uh-huh. because the load's been distributed because it's, it's balanced or, you know, whatever that the situation may be, but there's such a challenge for people to like live a, in the reality. Why, why can donkeys carry are. so much? I don't know. <laughs> they have big butts. Made me think about the, uh, you know, who the most flexible prophet is, uh-uh. uh, Balaam, because the scripture says he tied his ass to a pole and walked away. <laughs> Is <laughs> a donkey. Don't get Hashtag freaked out. Hashtag rabbi jokes. <laughs> <laughs> and that's why they call you the happy rabbi, Come bro. Come on. You're like, why well, we can't be we can't be morose this whole podcast. We gotta bring in some kind of a Well, there is a there's um I think real joy. I mean, here's my struggle. The reason why I was the happy rabbi before was because I was avoiding sadness. Mm. As I've dealt with sadness, I'm finding real happiness. Yeah. That's it's really like good. real joy. Yeah. Right? Because you don't actually experience joy without sadness. Wow. Sadness is part of, it's a great Pixar movie uh, <laughs> called uh, Inside Out. Well, I have the, seen that one. The emotions are- Yeah, I like that one. And that's the whole idea. Is joy is the first emotion, and she keeps trying to get stop sadness from touching all the memories. Wow! But as the kid gets older, which she's eleven in the story, in her maturity, her everything prior to that, all her core, all her memories are one color representing each emotion. So yellow is joy, and blue is sadness, and red is anger. And but in the transition into puberty, which is what's happening in the movie her memories start to be multi multicolored. Mm. So she had all these joy emotions that were only joy. But when sadness touched it, it realized there was sadness first that led to the joy. Mm. And it became a part of, you know, that's part of the maturity of there's, I found my, I found most things and this. I got from my counselor also is most things are not either or they're both. And, mm. Like if you think back on a lot of memories, there are there's like sadness and joy in the same memory. They're not either or. Most things are not just all happy and all sad, except for social media because nobody puts the yeah bad stuff on. But is there joy Everybody's and doing pain? Highlight reels, sunshine and rain. Oh, that's a that's a rap song. <laughs> You're always messing me up with rap songs, is that- taking me off track. Joy, bones, thugs, and harmony. thugs and harmony. Sunshine. Who is it? And rain. Listen to raw bass. 
Rob Bass and DJ Easy Rock. Yeah, that's because you're older than me. <laughs> That's because you're older than me. <laughs> yeah, life experience in hip hop. So when I look at the, I know that you're talking about the either or, but I would both and yeah. things are both and both there's, and both and it's not just one or the other, right? Yeah, it's not this is sad and this is happy. If you really think about it, they're both in there. You have two things that can be true at the same time, like like um, like COVID sucked. Yeah. And also some of the changes that have happened in the world were good for the world that wouldn't have come without it. They're both true at the same time. Yeah. Um, You know, God is in control and it also feels like he's not because my, because my experiences stuff is out of control. But if God is at like, they're true, they're still true. They're, they're um, both end. Not yeah. either or, but we try to set things up as no, it's either this or this. When right. it's usually, I think there's more both and than there is either or. The thing that I think is challenging is we have to look at the thin line between acknowledgement and acceptance when it comes to mental health in our day and age. Mm-hmm. It is okay for us to acknowledge. Mm-hmm that men- mental illness is more prominent than maybe it's ever been. Mm-hmm. But the danger is in that midst of that acknowledgement, we can swing very easily into acceptance. Mm-hmm. And as much as I want to acknowledge that mental illness is more prominent than it's ever been, I certainly don't want to accept that. And I think, you know, I think of the scripture where Paul says in Romans, he says, don't be conformed to the ways of this world, mm-hmm. but be ye transformed by the renewing you and King James of your mind. But when you listen to this though in the listen to this in the amplified version. Who's ye? It says, and do not be conformed to this world any longer with its superficial values and customs, but be transformed and progressively changed as you mature spiritually by the renewing of your mind, focusing on godly values and ethical attitudes, so that you may prove for yourselves what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect in his plan and purpose for you. Okay, but watch this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul and all your strength. Right. All three of those things in in Hebrew are not what they say they are. Okay, watch this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul and all your strength. In Hebrew, that's not what they are. So in the ancient Near East, the heart, they talk about the heart as we understand the brain. Okay. They saw it as the seat of emotions. They saw everything, all of your feeling coming from your heart. And it really means the brain. Hmm. Because we know now that the brain actually does all of that, Hmm. not the heart. The second word is soul, but soul was added in English by the translators of the King James. And the Hebrew word is nefesh, and nefesh literally translates to throat. Wow. And the reason why it's the throat is because the throat is where everything that goes, everything goes into your body through your throat. Mm. So the soul and the idea that the soul leaves the body is Plato. It's not the Bible. Mm. 
and Plato uh, affected both Judaism and Christianity, but the scriptures don't talk about the soul leaving the body because the word nefesh is the body. Mm. Wow. <laughs> so Tim Mackey says you call, in Hebrew, you would call a kidnapper, a nefesh napper mm. because they take the body, right? Wow. You call a corpse in Hebrew, a, a, a dead nefesh, huh. like a dead body. So the heart is the brain, right? <laughs> the soul is the body. Okay. So it's two parts, body and mind mm. and body. And then the last one, which is translated as strength is actually the word maod, And it actually just translates to very. Hmm. And in Hebrew, when you want to emphasize something, you say it's maod maod. It's very, very. It sounds like how Donald Trump speaks. I'm the very best of the very. He does maod a lot. But it's Tim Mackey says, talks about it from the Baba Project, talks about it as being our muchness. So it's like, it's like your brain and your body and everything else within me. Yeah. It's like all of your muchness. Um, so when we, we, when we talk about what you quoted from Romans, right? We don't, psychology doesn't mean, embracing some of the principles of psychology doesn't mean you're conforming to the world. Mm -hmm. When God already had in mind what we didn't, what they didn't even understand in ancient Israel, he explained to them as the heart because they treated the heart like we would later understand the brain. Hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like it's all, it's all in there for us to embrace. But there are things, principles. So you're saying things. that we will be transformed by the renewing of our hearts. Yeah. Yeah. So or don't don't be conformed to the ways of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind yeah. or the renewing. Yeah. When the scriptures talk about heart. the resurrection of the dead, that there's time coming where everyone who follows Yeshua, Jesus, who has died will rise from the dead. We're going to rise in our physical bodies. Yeah. Now the scripture talks about like a glorified body, which I have to believe my beard is going to be exactly the same as it is right now. Possibly. Maybe but your body too taller, because of Maybe noom. taller and hair. And I'd like to have more hair. Because of our sponsor. Noom. noom. Yeah. <laughs> Not um, yet. <laughs> yeah. So it, it, it helps reshape like, uh, how we understand who we are, right? And you know, not just conform to the things we've been told, even about mm -hmm. the Bible, the things that we've been told and the things that are understand, but to dig deeper beyond, right? You know, because there's principles within all of the sciences that God put there. Mm -hmm. um, so we have to be careful not to separate them too much, and yeah. then also not embrace them too much. Well, I would pull out of that even your thought and this scripture that I think that culture has tried to tell a lot of people that they are something that they're not, whether that's for the positive totally. or the negative. And I don't want to conform to that. I don't want to conform to man's vision of myself. Right. And I don't want to conform to my own vision of myself. I don't want to become narcissistic and think I'm bigger no, or better right. than I am. I want to be transformed by the renewing of my mind, the yes. renewing of my heart. Yes. I, I want to love the Lord my God, with all my heart, with all my soul, with all my mind, with all my strength. I want our friends who are listening to this, who are struggling 
with that stuff, who have been told you are this or you aren't that. Yeah. I want them to understand that there is hope, that there is a resource that's available to them, whether that is counseling. You and I both see a, I mean, I got, we don't see a church counselor and we don't see the same counselor, but like you see a secular, quote unquote, secular counselor. Yeah. And there's well, nothing wrong Christian. with it. There's, but it's not yeah. like I'm going to go. I think Christian counseling, and not to get off in the weeds. My point of this is, I think sometimes people think Christian counseling is that they go to a pastor at a church somewhere. It's right. okay to go to a person we used to call it biblical who, counseling. who is a real. Not that that person's not a real counselor. I'm talking about a person who is, yeah. you know, even a person who could yeah. prescribe something. Yeah. For them, because maybe that's a little bump that somebody needs to get over that. And like, like let's get over this yeah. misnomer. No, of- and I take medication for ADHD, and I don't think I should stop. Yeah. I think medications are wonderful. Well, because sometimes you're distracted on it. So Always. Like, you're like... <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. There's so a- I, I think medication is good, but but there's a balance in yeah. all of those things where sometimes yeah. we... we um go too heavy on it's just medication yeah. you know it's there's like i think there's emotional and spiritual and psychological and they're all connected to each other and physical and sometimes it's more one than the other depending on the situation but they're all connected to each other and you have to treat all of them yeah so to to put this into the perspective of this podcast this rap pastor and rabbi walk into a bar yeah. the next time that that somebody asks you how you doing? I mean, if you're in relationship with them, yeah, it's okay for you to be honest yeah. and say, "Bro, I'm not okay." Yeah, Ian, I mean, you Sally got, aren't. You got to okay, choose your or, people wisely. For sure, you do. You don't have to be open you with do. everyone. Please don't. Please be don't. open with everyone. <laughs> and I don't want everyone to be open with me. Right. Like, I only year, want people that I that I'm really connected to to be. Every year during Passover, I get an email from a Gentile Christian. It says, I'd like to attend the Passover, but I'm not circumcised. Is that okay? And I, and I email back and say, if you're going to tell me that kind of information, you should buy me a drink first. Oh, my God. <laughs> and on that note, I'm not a narcissist. You're a narcissist. Uh, yeah. And so if you, if you are struggling with mental health or if you're struggling – uh, on the extreme with suicidal thoughts or you've come up with a sort of a plan. It's uh, had a person tell me that suicide is a permanent solution to a temporary problem. And so if you're having those thoughts, please reach out to someone, someone in your community, call the suicide hotline. And uh, we love you and we care about you. And we may not know you, but we are praying for you. So... For this episode of a pastor and a rabbi walk into a bar, enjoy your day.